This is Five on Three. Center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome in to potentially the last episode of Five on Three for a really long time. Can't believe I'm saying those words. It hurts. My heart hurts. It's piercing all the whole thing. Today I'm joined by two great friends, Colin Locker and Nick Palmer. The season's over. That doesn't mean that our job is over. We still get to have fun. We still get to talk puck. If we do any of that, Colin, I'll give I'll give our West Coast friend a little bit of time to wake up. Colin, how you doing? I'm doing well, Lou. I'm sad to see the hockey season truly start to walk out the door. We know Cup is now over. Vegas lifting Lord Stanley, but it's getting warm here in New York. That ice is melting. We've got some last-minute thoughts about the Rangers, Isles, Devils. Glad to be with both of you guys. Nicholas? Yeah, I mean, I echo everything Colin just said. I'm I'm sad to see puck ending, especially when, you know, I'm I'm not looking too bullish on any crazy things happening in the offseason for any of these teams. It feels like all of the all of the um UFAs at least aren't as impressive as other years. That's just my take on it. Um, but you know, some some big changes behind the bench are important, and I think they're worth talking about. So I'm I'm down to do that today. I'll be completely straightforward. Unless there are like big trades, this offseason is not it's not sexy at all. I don't think you're gonna see a lot of crazy things in terms of free agent signings. That was all kind of last year, and a lot like. You had a lot of players sign mid-year, sign extensions that kind of took a lot yes. of the potential appeal of what what, could, what this offseason could have been. So that stinks. But I think before yeah. we get into any offseason stuff or any signings and stuff like that, Peter Laviolette, who we talked about last week, 37th head coach of the New York Rangers, had his press conference. And I'll be completely honest, going in not super high, on Laviolette, understood, probably the best available guy. Still didn't mean I was excited. I think now after the press conference, I'm about as optimistic as I've been about this move. I want to talk about a few of the quotes. The one I want to start with, one of the first things he said was that you can't flip a switch in the postseason. That if you want to play with intensity in the postseason, it has to be practiced from the beginning of training camp. For me personally, as a Rangers fan, it felt like the Rangers tried to flip a switch last year, that they thought, based on the, the playoff experience they had last year, that they could just kind of slide through the regular season, they knew they were making the playoffs, and that once they got there, they could flip the switch. And they realized that once they got to the playoffs, it's not that easy to flip the switch. So to hear a lot of you let come out and say that, to me, that's a great thing right away. I'm lukewarm on LaViolette. I think we've had this discussion now multiple times, Lou. Hearing him say that, I agree with the sentiment. It's great coach speak that, oh, you have to start from day one in training him. You know what it reminded me of? And obviously, he's much less flashy than the name I'm about to put up there for a cross-sport comparison. It was a little bit like Rex Ryan of the Jets, <laughs> that it's an everyday thing. You have to start from the beginning. Now, as I said, LaViolette, nowhere near Rex Ryan in terms of showmanship and all that New York panache that we came to expect from him. But looking at the roster that they're going to have, it's going to be a mix of some veteran guys, some younger talent here and there. 
You're going to have to grow kids like Lafreniere, Fox, who I think has another dimension to his game that he's going to have to find next season if the Rangers are going to be in that cup conversation. So I like what he said in theory, but we've seen this story play out before where teams aren't great during the regular season. Then the Stanley Cup playoffs roll around, they go on a tear. Just look at what the Islanders did last season. Now they didn't win a cup, but they made some noise in the playoffs. Look at a team like Florida. Not the most impressive regular season by any stretch of the imagination. I had them dead to rights against Boston in the first round. That didn't happen. But they went on this amazing run to the cup. So you can flip the switch. Now, I think what he was alluding to is that in order to do that, you need a certain type of work ethic. And that's where I get a little bit lukewarm with it. Is it reminds me a lot of what Gerard Gallant was all about <laughs> in this sense of, oh, it's not going our way, but eventually... We're just going to flip the switch and hit it at the right time because we've been preparing for this since day one. So it's a little bit of what came first there. Did you have the work ethic to then flip the switch or did you just flip the switch and then the work ethic ensued? So I I think he said the right thing in that statement, but at the same time, it doesn't excite me. Right. Well, I mean, the pushback I'd give is that, you know, Gallant might have said that eventually they were going to flip the switch. But the sense I got from watching that team, and especially, you know, towards the final stretch where once they realized they were locked in to their playoff spot, they definitely took their their pedal off the gas. One of the things that, that kind of excites me about that quote is that it does feel a little bit different. I get there are parts of this press conference where it feels like I'm listening to Gallant all over again. I kind of rolled my eyes when they asked him for a message for the fans and he said, it's time to get to work. Like there are definitely chunks of this press conference where it's like, all right, yeah, it's just coach speak. He's going to say what he has to say. For me, the, it's just the the idea of the Rangers thought they were going to be able to flip the switch and then realize mm-hmm. it's not that easy and that there's a little bit of a different mentality this year. That's what I'm hopeful. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> trying to be. I, co- I, I actually agree with both of what you're saying here, weirdly in a way, because I agree. There were a lot of echoes of Gallant in that press conference where I was like, well, what they're saying isn't changing. But I think, Lou, you make a great point in what they need to do is going to change. Because Gallant, right after game seven, if if you remember, said, you know, talent doesn't mean a thing if you don't if you don't show up to work and, you know, put in the effort. And I'm like, well, well that's just what Laviolette just said in a different yeah. way. You know, Laviolette was like, well, you know, when you watch the final four and the final two of the playoffs, it's a reminder that the compete inside the game is what makes teams great. So that's just a, a long-winded way of saying, you know, competing not on the pure talent level. Um, but yeah, I I mean, it's the same words right. put differently, but I think that Gallant saying that after game seven is like, okay, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know what I mean? And by Laviolette saying that now, all he has to do is just keep up with the promise and, you know, kick these guys into shape on day one of training camp. Not to sound like too much of a downer, but when he says, let's get to work, my initial thought was on lowering ticket prices because I don't know (laughs) what this team is going to be exactly. So last year, Tarasenko, Kane, Ryder doing his thing. You have all these pieces that we're supposed to add up to the first Stanley Cup since 1994 didn't happen so now i look this year and it's more like who are you going to bring back and then the part b to that would be are the kids going to be in a headspace to compete the way we all want them to because quite frankly 
for as much as I'd like to say that guys like Cabo Caco or Lafreniere are going to flip the switch now with Laviolette, I'm not bullish on that because after dealing with what they've dealt with for the last two years, which two years ago, it was constant flip up and down the lines. There was a time when those kids were the first line of the Rangers back in October of 2021, and no one expected a damn thing. Then the kid line blew up in the playoffs against the Lightning. And then, of course, last year was a colossal disaster. So if I'm the kids right now, I don't know what to expect. I'm kind of just there frozen. So I think we all need to take our time in terms of expectations for these kids. Well, let's talk about this a little bit, because this is another thing Laviolette was asked about is another thing I kind of wanted to highlight. Asked them, asked about how he was going to use the kids this year and basically said, He's not going to gift them time, but he's going to give them the opportunity to earn top six minutes. Again, at a surface level, that's a great quote. It feels like they hadn't been giving a, given a legitimate opportunity to get top six minutes. Gallant did not want to play them in the top six. When he did, it was like out of spite. And he was very quick to change it if it didn't work. Now, how much credit are we going to give Laviolette for saying this? Right now, the Rangers have one right winger on the roster and it's Capo Caco. If he doesn't get top six minutes, what are we doing? Lafreniere is a bit different of a conversation. You have a lot of left wings. Is he going to have to move to the right wing? Is he going to be willing to do that? How much credit are we giving Laviolette for this book? I mean, you know, I it's, it's coaches talk. And that's the thing before a season, if your coach is not, you know, promising the world to you, and promising all the things that Rangers fans want to hear, then he's going to get eaten alive in the press board. And that's just how it works before every season. You never hear a coach, you know, already making managerial errors before the season already starts. It would that's be just hilarious if he was like, now nah, we're going to keep him on the third line. Exactly. So, <laughs> I, you know, as, as, as much of a cliche it is, you know, you got to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. And, you know, he can't walk the walk until preseason. And even then, you know, you can't you can't bag on him for his decisions in preseason. So you got to wait till October. So I just don't see a reason to put a lot of weight into what he's saying right now. But one thing I am kind of excited about is the fact that Michael Pekka is going to be joining him as an assistant coach. Um, former Islanders captain, if you guys can remember. Um, and he was actually under when Laviolette was the coach of the Islanders, he was the captain under Laviolette. So that will be an interesting dynamic that they bring to the Rangers bench with a former Islanders coach and captain who played together. And we, uh, we just saw, we just got more coaching news. The Molly Walker reported Dan Muse, who's been using oh. the U S U 18 and U 18 or U 17 team is joining the staff as well. And, like this would kind of be cool if we get a you know a system where it's Laviolette and other voices, right? It's kind of it's kind of especially in this version of the NHL, it's very important who your assistants are because a lot of the time those are the people drawing up the plays, right? Gallant wasn't drawing up plays; it's your assistants. So if you get a good supporting staff in there, you get some younger voices, some people that have been dealing with some younger players. Muse has been coaching the US U eight U eighteen team. Like, I think that's another way where Rangers fans can get a little bit more excited as well. I agree. And I also think Laviolette will have to do a better job than Gallant did of relating to veterans, because I think that became an issue as the season wore on last year. You mentioned the right winger issue where Capo Caco is really the only one that you can bank on coming back at this given time. You got to perhaps 
bring back either Tarasenko or Kane. I think bringing back one of them is vital. If it was up to me, I would bring back Kane over Tarasenko because I think he's a better match for what you're going to end up trying to play. If this was going to be a Hurricanes-type situation where you wanted to clog the neutral zone and play that type of hockey, bring back Tarasenko. I don't see the Rangers as that type of roster going forward, and I think if you give Kane more time on that top line with Kreider and Zivanejad, it will open more things up for them offensively. If you wanted to put him on the second or third line with Panarin, you could do that as well. I just think that there's better matches out there for Tarasenko at this time, and bringing back Kane then gives Laviolette a veteran that he can look at and be like, listen, you've been there, done that. I have kind of been there, done that. Make sure these vets understand that this is going to be a grind throughout the course of the year. And those assistants will be critical in getting the younger players up to speed so that one day when they are veterans, they'll understand why the Canes and Criders of the world act and perform the way they do on the ice. I I really want to get into some of this offseason stuff. One last quote I kind of want to get your your thoughts on. He talked about essentially putting a plan, a structure in place for the team so that they know what they're doing the entire year, but stress the importance of being able to make adjustments and also playing to your skill, adjusting to the skill players you have throughout the season. Personally, that's not something I ever felt Gallant did last year. Gallant was stubborn, I think, to a fault in terms of being reluctant to adjust. You saw that. I think it was their downfall in the playoffs, but Gallant's Really, only move was, hey, let's jumble the lines and let's see if that sparks something. You never felt like there was style of play shifts or anything like that. How much confidence do you have in Laviolette's ability to adjust styles throughout the course of the year? Because that's not something that he's necessarily known for. He's kind of been a stubborn coach in past years, too. Is he? Do we think he's a new man? I mean, it can't get much worse than what you saw under Gallant in that regard. There were playoff games two years ago when the Rangers were having success that I can remember one line being uttered over and over again. It's just a simple game. It's just a simple game. They said it ad nauseum. And to one extent or another, as a beat reporter slash writer, I sat there and thought to myself, is it really that simple? I'm never a fan of oversimplifying things. So if we can get someone that at least has an understanding that there's more than one way to be successful, I'm all for that. So in that regard, I do think it's an upgrade from Gallant in at least the sense of you're getting more ideas in there, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with that. I think, you know, it's always important to have not only a group around you on your bench that shares a vision, which I I think they do. I, I I think they share a vision. They've been together for a while, so... You know, also that U18 um, fresh perspective is coming in. So I think that's important as well. But also to be able to create new things. And I think that's what Gallant was missing is that you're right. Jumbling the lines wasn't doing a lot. Trying out new things tactically, I think, is important, especially early in the season. We didn't see Gallant doing that. We saw Gallant shuffling lines as the way to sort of shake it up. So, yeah, I think this will be a really good breath of fresh air for the Rangers. Colin, so you kind of you kind of hinted at some of the offseason conversations we're going to have with the Rangers. So let's let's get right into that, right? So let's start with the the Tarasenko Kane thing, and you know we can say the layout of the Rangers right now is we we think the cap's going to go up at most by a million. So you're looking at realistically eleven point seven million in cap space for the Rangers, and they have to fill like nine spots. 
So they don't, they don't have a ton to work with. They can deal Barclay Goodrow if they want to and clear 3.7 in cap space. I think that's a lot more of an interesting conversation after the way the playoffs went where Goodrow was actually one of your best players. And you look at him and you go, is that a guy we really want to get rid of? Again, the contract I think is awful. They never should have signed him to this much money, especially in the stage they were at when they signed him. But that makes bringing back a guy like Tarasenko really hard because he's a guy that's in the command, in my eyes, at least $4 million a year, probably more. I, I think Tarasenko is going to get a pretty solid bag here. He's a really good player. Kane, you can talk yourself into he likes to, he likes New York. He wants to stay in New York, especially with this surgery, like a one-year prove-it deal, $1.6 million, something like that. Like I can talk myself into Kane staying for a cheapie. I don't think I can talk myself into that with Tarasenko because it's not going to happen. I think on paper, most everyone would agree with me in saying that Tarasenko was more productive for the Rangers. I'd last prefer year to have Kane. I get what you're saying about Kane. Like I'd prefer to have I, Tarasenko. I think you're not alone in that feeling. My only retort to that would be, you know, Kane wants to be here. He yeah. practically forced his way to New York. From what we've seen in hockey and in other sports, that counts when you play here. Because if you're not willing to be here and deal with the absolute media circus that we are all collectively a part of, then you're not going to be successful. So after the way last year went, I think it's much smarter to bring back Kane on that one-year prove-it deal if you can. If you wanted to float out a second year, I wouldn't have a problem with that because let's be frank with ourselves, Rangers have won since 94. You're going to have to sell tickets as well. That's a part of this. And Patrick Patrick Kane sells tickets. That's not a surprise to anyone. I think dealing Goodrow is unfortunately the price you're going to have to pay to do this. However, Goodrow was a Gerard Gallant guy. So that was one of Gallant's go-to names. If we're really going to try and argue that we're starting fresh with a new type of philosophy at the helm in Laviolette, dealing Goodrow is just a sign of that in my estimation. And turning to Kane is an example of we're going to give the veterans a chance here. Does your opinion on the Goodrow situation change? with the reports that they're probably going to have to throw in like a second round pick to get it done. At least that. I, I think it's part of the the equation here. Unfortunately, I don't think the Rangers are in a, a position where you're going to have to be able to wait around. I don't think they can afford to wait around much longer. I think they exceeded expectations two years ago to the point where last year probably should have been quote unquote their year. Now you look at it going into this season if you're going to make the case that you have one to two more years of that window still open, this is the price you're going to have to pay. I think the other, the other thing that I think is part of this is Miller and Lafreniere are RFAs. And I think it's almost a guarantee that they're coming back the way that, especially the way Lavia talked about Lafreniere as if he was going to be back in, I think Miller right now is the Rangers' priority. Is one of the most talented young defensemen in the, in the league. I think the Rangers love what he does. But that takes up probably five to six million of that cap space we just talked about. And again, you have to fill other spots. I'm kind of dreaming about getting Jesper Fast on a nice little two million ish contract. I think he'd be a really good fit for this team. Not for nothing, he's probably the best. He's probably the guy that Panarin's had the most chemistry with on that right wing Panarin's best year some of his best times as a ranger came with Faust on the other side on the other wing I think that's an account for something you watch the way he's played with Carolina he's got some of that that grit 
that I think you feel is missing with this team. So I'd like to get Foss in here, and I think you can make it work even without getting rid of Gudra. That's a guy that I think you could bring in. I, I think Foss is actually a really good option for the Rangers because he does bring a degree of consistency to his scoring game that, yeah, sure, he might not you know be putting up a ton of points, but he he does it with consistency. You don't really see, um, you know, a lot of duds from Foster, him, you know, making significant errors on the ice. I think he'll be a really big staple for the Rangers if they can get him. Um, he also does um, eat up a good amount of ice time, which is good for keeping the kid line um, and sort of all the, your young players refreshed. Yeah. I, I, I think would, that's smart. I wouldn't be I'll, surprised if they bring back Mott either. Like, I think you're going to see them kind of bring a lot more of these like smaller, nice two-way players, not crazy goal scorers or anything like that, but just to kind of, yeah. especially right now with the cast base, they have to fill out their lines with guys like this. I wouldn't be surprised if you start the year with a guy like Johnny Brodzinski on the, on their NHL roster, probably playing a fourth line role. Like your fourth line's not going to be this what ended up being one of the best fourth lines in the NHL this year. And, VC Mott Goudreau, you're not going to have that talented of a fourth line, I don't think, especially with your cap space. So I think you're going to have to, whether Will Cooley comes up, whether it's time for Ottman to come up, I don't know where they are. I think you probably see Cooley in the NHL as well. But yeah, it's going to be, it's a weird spot for the Rangers, as you kind of said, Colin, where they're going to get worse. Like there's the, kind of no way around that. They're going to get worse. And after the way this year went, that's kind of depressing. Well, the interesting thing about bringing someone like Faust, and I'm sorry to cut you off here quick, Nick, um, is that it creates a little bit of an identity crisis and one that might be needed. So I'm all for bringing someone like Jesper Faust aboard, but his style of play is that hurricane-esque, I'm trying to think of another, Barry Trotz-esque style of hockey to where those are the type of guys that help you in the middle of the ice as well as the scoring. They're two-way guys. And I think you see some of this with Keandre Miller, and that was always an issue anytime that I had been thinking about who, who are the Rangers. It's very hard to narrow down what they are with this collection of players because there's a part of you that goes, they could be a team like New Jersey, where it's run and gun up and down the ice. New Jersey, Edmonton type of team where Mika, Panarin, guys are flying up and down. Kane would have fit that profile for them, or a younger Kane, maybe not now that he's a little bit older, it's a little bit different, but you get the gist. But then there's other guys like a Trocheck. That was to me the sign that maybe they're moving more physical, but they never fully went in that direction. So that's another aspect of the story to look at is what are these Rangers going to be? Who are they going to be in terms of play style? I think, yeah, I, I, I think that's an excellent point. And, and I think, you know what, it, it, there are ways that a physical and fast game can work but if as you mentioned if you do see the rangers getting worse this year then that fourth line as we mentioned is going to become all the more important uh just to sort of cap this off you know for the fourth line has to be at least a presence on the ice at the very least if not productive I think it still can be you guys know how much i love jimmy vc but i thought brodzinski played well this year i think he only got Really, Brodzinski only got forced out of a role because the Rangers went out and made trades and got themselves one of the best forward groups we've ever seen from them. But Brodzinski was a very productive fourth-line center for them. If they get Tyler Mott back and he's playing on the fourth line again, you're going to see a nice little identity line from them that I think you get a little bit excited about. Let's shift over. Islanders, in a similar spot with not a ton of cap space, 
don't have to bring back as many guys, don't have as many spots to fill. Right now, the cap stays is at 4.5. It's going to go up because they're, they've said they're getting rid of Josh Bale. And it's it's just how how are they going to do that? If they trade him, there's a way where they can get that entire five million cap hit off the books. They can buy him up, buy him out and fill 2.3. I think the realistic thing is they probably trade him and retain some of that salary. But I'm curious to see where your head's at, Nick, because once they get rid of him, that gives you a little bit more flexibility to work with. But again, you already have a lot of big contracts that you've locked up. You don't have a ton of spots to fill, probably have to pick up a defenseman or two here. But like, I'm curious where your head's at with the Islanders going into this offseason. Yeah, um, the Josh Bailey era is at an end. You can call it a failed experiment. You can call it a hugely failed experiment. Um, but whatever you want to call it, um, man, he, he had about two or three good years there in the late 2010s. Um, I think the most likely option is actually that they buy him out. Um, because quite frankly, I, I don't, I don't see anyone really dealing any significant pieces for Josh Bailey at this point. We're hearing interest from Arizona. Arizona is trying to get a veteran on their team. Okay. That's been, that's been a rumor that's been out there on, in the, the beat reporters of the world. I would, I would love that for him. But yeah, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of signings that need to happen for this team, but there are important ones for sure. Um, the UFAs include guys like Zach Parisi, um, Scott Mayfield, Semyon Varlamov, and uh, Pierre Engvall. So, so I'm going to start from who I think is the most important to sort of the least important to resign. Pierre Engvall is is going to be number one here. Um, he we got him at the trade deadline. People were expecting a solid, like third liner, nothing really huge, and he exceeded all expectations. I, I think I think he's at the point where he deserves a raise. Um, and a little bit of confidence from this team. I mean, what an absolute swipe uh, from Toronto. Now, he also has a really good relationship with Kyle Palmieri, who we have locked up for a while. So he's definitely, I think, an integral part of this top six. And, you know, I think Parisi, there, there's there's a case to be made for him to be re-signed. I think he played well enough. Um, the Isles aren't really in need of a veteran, another veteran presence in the locker room. But anytime you have Zach Parisi in your locker room, I I think that's obviously a bonus. And he wants um, moving to he he Pretty does cool. want to come back. Yeah. Um, with regards to Scotty Mayfield, I feel like that's a little less certain. He's you know he's thirty. He's playing at a high level, but the, the defensive unit needs more youth in their lineup. They don't need more age, especially with um the better Sebastian Ajo uh, emerging as a reliable defenseman. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to go for youth on the blue line, maybe go for a guy like Samuel Bolduck, who had, who had a couple of good games there at the end. Um, and, you know, finally with Varlamov, Lamorello is still in charge of this team. And that's what you have to remember. Lamorello is, while he does like running a good goaltending tandem, that's part of his thing. Sorokin proved he can do it all by himself. Like he, he, he he said that he can he proved that he can take on three quarters of the starts and win you three of those four almost all the time. I mean, he started 60 of the 82 regular season games and Varlamov's 34. So I totally see them freeing up some space for a high quality starting caliber goaltender like Varlamov. He he is, he, he could be a starting goaltender on half of the teams in the NHL. 
Um, and you can really get some good pieces there and uh, and save a lot of money. I, like you also have to keep in mind that you know Sorokin's contract up after next year, and that's a guy that right in the middle of his prime, Vesna finalist, one of the I, top five goalie in the league. He's going to get to win five it. goalie money, and that's something you have to factor in when you already have these big contracts to Barzal and Horvat that. You have to kind of be careful with how you navigate this off season because you don't want to put yourself in a spot where you can't extend Sorokin. Just I, one name I, that yeah. I'll, you can go. Oh, uh, well, I, 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 I just wanted to touch quickly on Sorokin and how he deserves to win the Vesna because you just brought it up. Okay. Um, he was 31-22-7 with the 2.34 goals against, okay? He was the best in terms of shutouts six shutouts in 60 in 62 games that's pretty crazy um and yes the stats aren't to where Olmark is and we've had this debate so many times so I I don't even want to like start this argument again but when you consider the fact that the Islanders were 22nd in the NHL in goals per game 2.95 and they were second lowest among the 16 teams to reach the playoffs only behind the wild it just kind of makes it a little bit more impressive. And I think that needs to be taken into account rather than just the raw stats from Lena Solmar. There's one name that I wanted to throw out there that the Isles could go out and get probably for cheap. Tyler Bertuzzi. I think you might be able to get a very low risk, high reward deal for him. Not that he's going to give you anything too spectacular on the ice. I'm not expecting that. He only played 50 games last year because of injuries, things like that. Eight goals, 22 assists. Not saying he's a game changer, but if I'm the Islanders, given the fact that you're in this in-between in a similar fashion as the Rangers, giving Bertuzzi a chance might not be the worst thing in the world. You saw that he could at least adapt from situation to situation, spent some time in Boston towards the end of last season with some veteran players that have their system they've been around forever. So I think... That's one name that I look at as if you're trying to keep yourself in a healthy situation financially, maybe you give Bertuzzi a chance with the understanding that there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. I, I just don't know if the contract ends up being that cheap. And this, this conversation might come up at the end, at the end of the show with the free agent class being as slim as it is. Bertuzzi is one of the better wing options that's available. I think he's going to like, I think he's going to, not get a huge bag, but I think he's going to get some pretty solid money here that might make it tough for the, like, I think they'll have the room to do it, but then it's again, you don't have a ton of money coming off the books next year, especially once you buy out Bailey, that it's like, how much money are you leaving yourselves for a Sorokin contract? Like, what's a Sorokin contract going to look like? Because if he goes out there and says, hey, I want Hellebuck Vasilevsky money, like what Hellebuck's doing right now, he's asking for 9.5. Like if he comes out and asks for that, I don't think he's going to do that. But, like, then you're really screwed. And especially with, I think Bertuzzi's going to command upwards of four, maybe five million. He's asking for six right now. I don't know if he's going to get that, but I don't know that you're getting him on a a cheap deal the way the free agent market's looking. I think it's not going to be extraordinarily cheap. I think it's going to be cheaper, given the fact that he's been dealing with some injuries and that the playoff series against Florida was not his finest work. I don't feel as though... He's the best free agent out there. And if you're the Isles of this kid, well, I think this is how, if you're the Isles front office, even if it's going to cost you a little bit more than you might have originally thought, it might be worth a shot because it's still going to cost less 
than going out there and making an even bigger splash. All of this, I completely agree with you, comes with the idea of you need to keep yourself in a good place because you know Sorokin is going to demand a lot of money. If for some reason Bertuzzi does command what you're expecting, Lou, and it's fully possible, then you you give up on that little dream right there. But if you can get him for cheap, I do think he's the kind of player that could fit in with what Long Island's trying to do. Yeah, I I think Bertuzzi is actually in that upper echelon of free agents this year, in terms of wingers at least. And especially, you have to remember, the Islanders really, if they're going to go after a winger, they're only going to get one. Because Wallstrom's coming back, and there's really high expectations on him as a right winger. Um, but maybe if if you're if Bertuzzi is expensive, let's just go for this hypothetically. Bertuzzi, you, you can't get him, especially if you want to re-sign Sorokin. Maybe you go into that like second tier of wingers that are available, maybe like a Max Domi sort of thing, or like an Ivan Barbashev. Like mm-hmm. players like this that have serious upside potential that you know what? Yeah, you can stick them on like the third line with JG Pajo and Wallstrom and see what happens. Maybe that becomes a really electric line for the Islanders to where you're not breaking the piggy bank. Um, I'd be I'd be happy for you guys if you got like a Barbashev. Barbashev would be a really good move. I was so yeah, and oh, and they're not going to be Bertuzzi level expensive. So so I think that those are two players that the Islanders should definitely be watching out for. I think I think let's do let's do New Jersey now. I think they're all Rangers is an interesting conversation. I think the Devils are the most interesting conversation of the local teams. Twenty six point four million in cap space, but by far the most spots that they need to fill. I just want to read a list of the RFAs and UFAs that they have to deal with in one way or another. We'll start with the RFAs: Timo Meyer, Igor Sharangovich, Michael McLeod, Nathan Bashan, Yester Bokvist, Kevin Ball, Mackenzie Blackwood. And then the UFAs, Tomas Tatar, Eric Hall, or Ryan Graves, Miles Wood. Whatever. Uh, that's a lo- that's a laundry list of guys. And I mean, we can start with Myers coming back, I think. I, I think we all expect Meyer to come back on an eight by eight something. Yes. And that's gonna be a huge move for them. Pat talked about it last week. They're gonna keep their core. It's gonna be great for them. Once that move happens, you still have a lot of decisions to make. And I'm I'm curious to see where they go. I kind of wish we had we had James on here. Like I'd like to see them bring back Sharon Govich and McLeod. Remember the way McLeod played this postseason. McLeod was a, was a game changer. He's one of those guys that put him on your bottom six six lines. He's gonna make he's gonna make a difference. I think you say goodbye to Miles Wood, obviously. Maybe you say goodbye to Nathan Bastion. But I think there are a few guys here. Even Tomas Tatar. I think he's gonna get some solid money here. But he's been a really nice fit in Jersey. That. They've got a lot of decisions to make. I'd like to see them try and keep some of this core. The obvious one to keep, as you said, it's Meyer. You have to bring him back. I just feel like the upside is too high to not do it. Only 26 years old, which is on the younger end for hockey. I mean, you're seeing guys go up into 38, 39, 40 territory. It can be done. I don't know if he's going to be the kind of player that's that ultra durable, but given he's only 26 you got to figure New Jersey's going to roll the dice on him in that regard. 66 points last season, 40 goals, 26 assists. He's the kind of player that contributes to a winning culture, which is essentially what you're trying to do there in Jersey. You saw last year what it could be. Now you're trying to build it into what it is ultimately going to be. And I think Timo Meyer could be a big part of that, especially with some of the younger players on that roster. Having him around and be a little bit older, but not too old to where he's going to alienate those guys is huge just to have that presence. I mean, you can't say enough about what he could mean for them going forward in terms of just next year and potentially year after. 
Yeah, I completely agree. My Meyer is a must have, and it's so funny. Um, that none none of you none of you are Devils fans, so I can say this. It's so funny that Devils fans have to figure out that they actually have to pay for their good players. It's 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 so funny that they just realize they can't have an all star team while paying these people no money. Um, but I think you know some. I think actually an under the radar pickup that I think could do the Devils good. I was like, who who would fit this team super well? How about Ross Colton from the Tampa Bay Lightning? 26 years old. He's from Jersey. And he fits into this sort of Timo Meyer sort of idea of playing with grit. I mean, he can he does more than just create than produce points. He 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 is a complete physical player. And Tampa Bay probably can't afford him either. And the Devils can. So that would be a really nice place for the Devils to go to where and you he's, have he's fought the Rangers a couple of times. I think he got into that. There was a Rangers Tampa game where there are a lot of fights. I think Ross Colton was right in the middle of that. I don't think the Devils have any problem getting a guy that's been brawling with the Rangers lately. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't even have to lock him down into one set position too, because he's a left shooting, left shooting center, pardon me, who can also play on the wing. So he provides the Devils with an area of flexibility to where if things aren't going the way they want it to, they can move Ross Colton around the ice. So I think he would be a really nice selection. Uh, right, because we've talked with James about how important the addition of Meyer was in terms of the physicality they brought to the table, that that team was kind of lacking. To bring in another guy like that, it doesn't hurt. And again, Colton's a guy that it's not like he's just out there to be physical. He's got skill with him as well. That's why he's going to get a contract that Tampa probably can't afford. So I, you know, I like where your head's at. I do, I do wonder, like, I think where their cash face is at, they have a little bit of space here to make a splash if they want to. And I think it all comes down to what they decide to do with their goaltend. Because there's a world where they don't have to. They can just roll out Vanacek and Schmid and be fine, right? Blackwood probably gets the boot. I think his days in Jersey are over. I think the thing that scares Devils fans, and a lot of them don't want this to happen, but they have been tied to Connor Hellebuck. And committing $9.5 million to a guy like Hellebuck, it's a huge hit to the cap, but it does ensure that you get an elite, elite goaltender that this team has really been missing outside of maybe a couple of solid seasons since Brodeur left. I think they need a goaltender. I don't think that that's a controversial take. I think if you're going to spend money, and like I mean serious money, not just like the pocket change that you know front offices sometimes spend, if you're going to spend some serious cash, go get a goalie. This is ridiculous. I mean, with the roster that you're going to build and you have young talent to do, I mean, Jack Hughes is a stud. We all know that he's going to be around for quite some time. Having that presence in net could make all the difference for this team because a hot goalie at the right time can work wonders. I'm not saying Hellebuck's the answer. I'm not going to go there. I don't think it's a bad idea. I wouldn't be mad at it. Actually, I would be mad at it as a Rangers fan. But as a... He kills the Rangers. That's another thing. He's going to get the Rangers. As a general hockey fan, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense for what you're trying to do because we've seen it time and time again. Good goaltender at the right time makes a big difference. The Rangers experienced this with Henrik Lundqvist. Lord knows how many times in those 2010s eras. Now, we didn't win a cup. Rangers didn't win a cup, but you're in those type of conversations. You're right there. Marc-Andre Fleury, similar situations with Pittsburgh. I mean, 
it just goes without saying how key this is. I think Blackwood's time is done. He was Martin Brodeur's golden child for the longest time. That was really going to be their next goaltender. Didn't work out. I don't think you can roll out the same tandem and just be content with that if you're a Devils fan. I think this is probably the time to make a move. And it's probably the best time if you want to add a goalie, right? You look at the guys available, whether it's the UFAs or the guys that you could trade for, right? Carter Hart's a guy that Philly's trying to ship, right? Hellebook's looking to get out of Winnipeg. Even if you're going for, like, if you wanted to go to that lower tier of goalies, like Frederick Anderson is available, Tristan Jari is available. You wanted to bring in Aiden Hill. If you wanted to bring in Semyon Varlamov, you have options if you're the Devils. A wealth of options, and it's kind of how much do you want to put into a goaltender? I mean, heck, maybe even a trade for like a John Gibson wouldn't be such a bad idea. Um, I I do think that one area where the Devils could look to clean up is on the downfall of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, because players are going to be flying out of there. And there, say what you will about how Winnipeg plays and how they can't win a playoff game and how they will barely squeak into the playoffs if they make the playoffs at all. They have some high skill on that team. Um, and you know, one player who's available right now is like Pierre Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is, you know, I think he's overrated at times. And he's in, a, um, if he's getting seven million, like that's, I don't, I don't want to touch that. He's been rumored with like the Rangers too, and it's like that's just not going to happen. I think right. he wants to go to Montreal, but like, yeah, that. I mean, listen, there's a, there's a ton of talent that's going to be flying out of, of Winnipeg this offseason. E- even, even next year, um, Shifley and Wheeler are both out of their contracts. So and they both, will, I think they're both asking out now. Like this, they're also, both asking out now. Okay. This, like this season, you're going to see Hellebuck go. You're going to see Luke Dubois go. And I think you're going to see Shifley and Wheeler go as well. So those are four big names that Winnipeg is going to be in a really tough spot. Feel for Kyle Connor, but I think this is going to be the most exciting part of the of the off season is cleaning up off of Winnipeg. This is going to be the most exciting moves. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think the Devils are in an excellent position to uh to add some goaltending depth and maybe add in a center or a winger and and they should be a playoff team, no problem. I mean, the Devils, in terms of local teams, I think they're the team you're most excited for this offseason in terms of the potential of what's going to happen. Doesn't feel like the Rangers are gonna make us the Rangers really can't make a splash. The closest thing they can do is would be bringing back Kane. Not sure if the Islanders are going to make a splash. If they do get a guy, it's probably going to be kind of towards the role player thing that we were talking about. The Devils can kind of make a splash if they want to. And, you know, it's again, you have to be careful with cap space. You have to think long term. But if they really want to, like they have the room to kind of take a guy or two here and give that some solid money. Uh, I think let's you want to talk some just some national league, just some NHL offseason stuff. In terms of this free agent class, again, we talked about how thin it is. Orlov and O'Reilly are going to get paid. And it's funny because I think if this was a different year, they wouldn't get as big of a bag as they're going to get. But I think this year, Dimitri Orlov and Ryan O'Reilly, and I think O'Reilly probably goes back to Toronto. But those are like, right, Orlov's the top defenseman in a free agent class that has not a ton of defensemen at all. O'Reilly's the top center in a free agent class that doesn't really have a lot of centers. Like those guys are going to get money and it's the perfect situation for them. I think the funny yeah. thing, too, is about O'Reilly, it'll be a winning situation, given if he goes back to Toronto. Now, I mean winning in the most generous term possible in terms of getting to the Stanley Cup playoffs, but you can't say that that always happens. 
in sports or in hockey, especially there's times where if you're going to chase that bag, you're going to end up in a situation where you're probably looking at a losing record and your point total is not going to be too pretty. O'Reilly has a chance to be the exception there. You know, good for him. I think he's the kind of guy that gets lost in the shuffle. When you think about the Maple Leafs, you're immediately going to think of Matthews and the impact he has. So to be in a winning situation and to make your cash, good for him. There, there are people campaigning for the Maple Leafs to re-sign him and make him the captain. That's huh. that's a legitimate thing we're seeing from Maple Leaf fans right now. They want him back. And they should want him back. His game is something that's growing, too, in my estimation. He's very two-dimensional in terms of what he can bring for you, and they need that. With a star like Matthews, who is so good on the offensive end, and you almost don't want him to be too physical or demanding on the defensive end. You need someone that's willing to do a little bit of both. I understand why Leaps fans are in favor of O'Reilly. He's also won a cup. So, you know, that, that never hurts. Um, But I I think you do say something interesting about this UFA class is that a lot of these guys are veterans who are up for grabs. I mean, you you have guys like um, John Klingberg, uh, James Van Riemsdyk, uh, Max Pacioretty, is actually a free agent. Um, So you have these guys who have a wide breadth of experience across multiple teams who I think those teams who are looking for little tweaks, um, who I I think both the Rangers and the Devils fall into that category. Um, You know, I know the Rangers went the veteran route at the trade deadline last year, and, you know, it didn't work out for them um, in the way that they hoped in the postseason. But some of these players can really bring some serious upsides. Van Riemsdyk was a guy that I had heard from some inside sources was trying to get to New York last year. Like he wanted to get traded yeah. to a New York team. I don't know if that changes with the, you know, some of his, fa- oh, you know, we'll lift up the curtain a little bit here. His cousin was Candace Green, who was the, the head coach of Fordham women's basketball last year. Now she's coaching up at Holy Cross, which is in, in Massachusetts. So I know at the time when she was coaching at Fordham, the Van Riemsdyks wanted to get to New York. I don't know if they want to go up to Boston now, but I, I think Van Riemsdyk is a guy that, right, he's not going to be getting paid the money he he was. That was what made him kind of so appealing and at the same time so unappealing of a trade target was you had to take on a lot of that cap space. He's not going to command that big of a contract anymore. I think he's still a productive role player for a team, again, a veteran a veteran presence. So I, I'm curious to see, you know, if Van Riemsdyk could get a, a cheapie, I think he'd be a really nice fit for one of the local teams here. I, I have a seething question for you guys that I would like to hear your yeah, answers there's... on. Give me one free agent who will shockingly sign with one of the local teams that none of us are expecting right now. I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it, and, and I'll give you my answer first. The New Jersey Devils, for a one-year contract, will be signing as their backup goaltender Jonathan Quick of the Vegas Golden Knights that would be funny I was actually as their backup goaltender the 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 train of thought I kind of had was the Devils don't want to and I think this so this would be my answer right the Devils don't want to give 9.5 mil to Hellebuck but they want to get a goaltender do you Bank on Aiden Hill being one of the best playoff goalies that we've seen in recent memory and getting him on what would be a rather cheap deal if you would get him for like $4 million or stuff like that. And you give him the opportunity to be your starting goaltender 
he gets his bag after balling out in the postseason, and the Devils get a guy that could have won a con smite if he played in the first round. Can I give I don't an hate answer? Can I give an answer that's not a free agent? Sure. Because I don't believe he's a free agent, but I think there's a chance he winds up a Ranger. Okay. And I'm not mad about it. Although yeah. I should be. Huh? I think Tom Wilson could be a Ranger. Oh, I do want I do want to talk about this. I, I hope not. I wouldn't be mad at it. Yeah, no, he'd, actually be, he'd be a good fit. Um, it, it, I, the, the thing that comes down with it, it's the same kind of thing that came up with like the Luke Dubois quotes where it's like, yeah, he'd be a nice fit. Do the Rangers have the cap space for Tom Wilson? Again, it's like you're talking about like, well, now you have to jumble all this stuff around. I know the Capitals want to get rid of Tom Wilson. I'm kind of wondering like where he ends up. If he, if he could get out of the Metro, like that would be a huge thing for the Rangers to not have to worry about him. It would be funny if the Rangers just like, don't want to worry about this guy. Let's just sign him so he's on our side. When was the last time the – well, all right, Ryan Reeves, but when was the last yeah, time the Rangers – yeah, Like, I just think it would be such a great identity move for the Rangers – especially given the fans know that they've had problems with him. It's not. Yeah, he almost killed Panera. Right. Everyone knows that. But there's something to be said of, you know, you get someone to go out and win games. You get someone to go out and win playoff series, to win a cup. And he might be the kind of player that can help you do that if for no other reason than he's shown a willingness to take the hits. If you're going to re-sign Kane, especially – you're going to need other guys who are going to play physical because you can't expect Kane to do that at his age with what you're hoping he can give you, which is offensive production. So in my mind, Wilson makes sense. And while Rangers fans might not be ready to stomach that reality, I got to tell you, it's not a bad idea. I think you'd learn to love him almost immediately, to be honest. He's that that kind of guy. I was hearing around the LA Kings – uh, Twitter circles that Tom Wilson was an option uh, for them. So that would also be interesting uh, for a team where sort of, you know, the grit era of sort of the Dowdy Brown era is sort of phasing out. Do you bring Tom Wilson to make the Kings a hateable team again? I mean, maybe, maybe you do. I'd love to hate the Kings again. That'd be great. Oh, I'm sure you Tom would. Wilson, I still do. Um Oh, just like old times. You know, my, my one final question would be, like, a lot of times we talk about, we keep things in the Metro here in this podcast. We like to stay local. In my eyes, the team that I'm kind of most scared about going into this offseason in terms of what they could potentially do, it's actually not New Jersey because I kind of figured that they would re-sign Brat and Meyer. And unless they go out and they make a huge splash and, and get Hellebuck, I think, what New Jersey is going to be, I already kind of thought that. Like, they're going to be good. They're going to be a pain in the ass for years to come. I'm scared of what Carolina could do this offseason. Because I think every other every other team in the Metro is either too far away, like Columbus, Philadelphia, they're not close enough yet to be a real threat. Or you're Pittsburgh and Washington, and what can you really do? You're on the downfall. Carolina, one of the big complaints about them year in and year out, is they lack star power outside of Aho, and Aho hasn't been the star in the playoffs that they need him to be. You have Pacioretty leaving. There's room for them to make a splash if they want to. And I'm just like, I got scared of them last year when they went out and they got 
Burns and they went out and they traded for Patch Ready and they went, oh my God, like they're getting more talented. And then those guys got hurt. And I still think if we saw a fully healthy Carolina team, that they'd be one to be reckoned with. So to see them go out and make a splash of any kind, I think that still scares me a little bit, especially as a range. I think they're the most fundamental team in hockey. I don't think they've ever been the most talented team, but when I watch the Hurricanes play and I use them as a template for physical hockey all the time, it is scary. And to think that they could even get even better with a big splash this offseason is a disturbing thought for other Eastern Conference powers like the Rangers, the Devils. A team like Boston's looking at Carolina and going, oh God, we're going to be old and frail. And we're going to have to play a team that literally wants to keep us from moving the puck anywhere. So I think Carolina is a major concern. Yeah. And maybe I was just even thinking about it. Bertuzzi might be a better fit for Carolina than anywhere else. Yeah. Like if you're talking about their Carolina's identity, he slots right into that. Maybe even a JVR for some experience in there. I, I think those two people might be good. But Carolina also needs to sort of make a decision on short and long-term goaltending options. Yeah. Because, I mean, your one goalie is Kachekov, and, you know, he had, what, he played like 30 games last year. Um, He's under contract for next season. But, you know, uh, Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta are UFAs this summer. So, you know, if one of them let's say, get, gets a bump in their paycheck. I don't even know who it would be. Um, maybe you go with Anderson. Um, the other one is moving on. So would they definitely they, have to make a decision. Would they team to go out and get Hellebuck? They don't strike me as the type. But then again, they've been very aggressive with trades the last couple of years. They have been. Um, so, yeah, may, maybe he's included in a the deal there. They just have to make a decision whether that's picking one of their guys or going for someone else entirely. I'm I'm just I'm scared of the the potential that Carolina has. Before we wrap this up, are there any other predictions you guys want to get off your chest? Again, this is for the most part to peel back the curtain some more. If we do more episodes, it's going to be after a big move, so we won't really have the chance to predict. So this is your your final chance, off season predictions. If you got them, throw it out there into the airwaves. Guys, who's winning the Stanley Cup next year? Oh, you're a bad person. <laughs> Could not pay me enough to make that prediction, Nick. I won't go that far. That's the what, what I, Oh man, that, <laughs> now that now that would be a story. What I will say, Bruins are headed for a territory they have not seen for a decade, a decade plus. They're going to have a lot of changes going on there. It is not known the extent to which uh, those changes will take shape, but everything that I've read, everything that I've seen, shows me that. It's not going to be the same Bruins team at all that goes out there next season, which makes what happened at the end of last season all the more tragic for their fans, given it really was their last run. It's something really special. So that's a team that I would encourage everyone, just watch out. Watch what they're going to do, because for as much as they're a franchise that realizes they're towards the end of their leash, at the same time, it's the Boston Bruins. Their front office fully understands they have a commitment to be competitive each year. And even if next year is kind of going to be a throwaway year, just watch them start laying down seeds for growth that could reap big rewards down the line. Then, Colin, I have a, a little bit more of a fair. I have a fairer question for you. What's one team that didn't make the playoffs 
last year that you see making the playoffs this year? Let, let, let's end on this. Philly. I think Philly finds a way to get in. I think the East wow. is not going to be what it was last year. The and East I think, is not going to be anything close to a gauntlet. You're going to see I, so many teams fall off. I think in that chaos, they'll find some way to scratch in there. Now, it's not going to be pretty. They're not a good team, not yet at least. But as we've seen, you don't have to be a pristine team to make the playoffs. So if we're going to make a wild prediction, and it is the last episode of 5-on-3 for a while, so why not end on a really, really wild prediction? I will say the Flyers will find a way to make the playoffs. Lou? Buffalo is the easy answer that I've already given, yeah. so I'm, I'm not going to go there. I, I think Ottawa. I think Ottawa probably ends up. I think they could get. I think they could get a playoff spot again. We talk about like the East is going to collapse. I think in a shocking manner for how good it was last year. Like I'm expect Washington's going to drop off a cliff. I think Pittsburgh's going to drop off a cliff. I think Boston is going to be way less competitive than they were. Obviously, not just like no. I'm not talking about like they're not going to be the best team ever. Like. I don't know that they even get one of the top three spots. So I'm not – so I, I'll go – I think Ottawa. I think Ottawa makes the playoffs. So um, my answer is the Pittsburgh Penguins just because, yes, they missed their first, what, playoff appearance in 16 years, was it? Long time. So, something around there. Yeah. They still have all the pieces that they had when they when they did that. I think last year was, yes, it was the start of their inevitable decline. But I think barring them from ever making the playoffs again with this core is just sort of a uh, a, a a not. I'm not going to say ridiculous because it's not a ridiculous take. It's just you know it, it's definitely overhyped, overstated at this point. Just how feeble the Pittsburgh Penguins system is. That's fair. Sure. Let's end on that. Gentlemen, it's been a fantastic year. It's been very fun. And we've been a, a, a fun podcast really the entire year. Go look at just even some of the titles that we've run out there, some of the names of the episodes. They make you laugh. They make you chuckle. So, boys, it's been an honor to do this. Thank you so much for coming on. Last five on three for a little bit, I think. I had a great time. Love that. Oh, always fun being on five on three. Can't believe I ended with a Flyers take though. It was a New York. Yeah, guy. no, you got you surprised. Wow, wait, that's kind of crazy. You ended with a Flyers take. I ended with a Penguins take. I ended with Lou. I don't think I've talked about the Iowa Senators once on this entire podcast the entire year, and I ended I ended the last show of the summer with they're going to make the playoffs. So hey, man, surprising myself out here. I think that will just about wrap it up. Five on three. It's production of WFMG Sports. Take it easy, everyone.